Hi, I'm Chris Kiergaard, Associate Editor at the Journal Star, alongside Executive Editor Dennis Anderson. Hello, everybody. And we're here today with Jody Hoos, Peoria County State's Attorney, running for the nomination for full term in the position. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Jody, I want to go ahead and start off with uh, some follow-ups to material you provided us in in your questionnaire. Okay. Uh, You talk a little bit about uh, wanting to, to... build a, a partnership with the U.S. Attorney's Office, Peoria Public Schools, to create opportunities for, for kids, whether that's internships and other programs that let them see what law enforcement is all about or have a positive first interaction earlier on with law enforcement in some degree. Isn't part of the challenge with that really trying to reach the kids who wouldn't ordinarily participate in the programs rather than the kids who would sign up for internships and things like that? Absolutely. That's why I'm really excited about the BLAST program, which is the program I'm kind of Mm co-working with or co-sponsoring with the U.S. Attorney's Office. And that program, it gives high school, it's going to be at each high school. Mm -hmm. Really, I want to do it countywide, Mm -hmm. not just inner city. Um, But it gives high school students an opportunity to see firsthand what law enforcement officers do every day. You know, Mm -hmm. they get to go through the little bomb detonation and they get to try on a, a, you know some of the uniforms but it's not just police mm-hmm. it's victim advocates um, members from my office um, could be somebody who does stats for the city so they get exposed to not just a police officer mm-hmm. but hey here are all the things that you can do in law enforcement and to answer your question directly there are really two targets Mm-hmm. One target are those kids who are interested in that. Mm-hmm. So that information is going to come from the school, obviously, and teachers, and they'll have a big say on, on who comes to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but one target are those kids who are interested in this, want to have a profession in law enforcement, maybe a paralegal, mm-hmm. maybe attorney. Yeah. The other focus is who are the kids that are starting to head down the wrong path, mm-hmm. and can we reach them now before okay. – that's mm-hmm. to the point of no return. So we kind of have two focuses on this, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm, I'm very excited about, and I think it's going to mm-hmm. be a good program for our high schools. It is, is one of the, the other potential benefits to that the ability to, to try to really help with, with inside the city of Peoria recruitment for some of those public safety positions? I imagine that's, uh, you know, an added benefit. Um, The BLAST, it stands for Building Lasting Relationships with Law Mm -hmm. Enforcement. So certainly that uh, is a good thing if Mm -hmm. kids then want to go out and be an attorney or be a police officer uh, or a paralegal. uh, I think that's an extra benefit that the program would provide. Mm -hmm. I I have a question. Sure. (laughs) I've got a lot of questions, of course. Good. But the the one I have is you, you were a judge for five years. Yes. And then this opportunity came up to to uh, become state's attorney. Yeah. As a layman, I would think being a judge is like one of the highest levels you can get, be, unless you become a higher judge. Yeah. You think like my mom. Okay. <laughs> why? Uh, why did you make this change? Yeah. So, you know, I think every day we make decisions that affect our lives every day, and most of the times the really tough decisions are not on our timeline. Unfortunately, we don't know when they surface. Uh, When they do surface, and this one in particular, when I realized that an entire county has a stake in who becomes uh, the next state's attorney, who takes command of shaping justice after the untimely death of just a wonderful, wonderful Mm -hmm. person, um, you know, in those situations, you hope that you can rise to the occasion and make the right decision. What added some weight for me personally to this decision is that uh, I was a very close personal friend with Jerry Brady, but 
I made the right decision, and I'm very honored to be the Peoria County State's Attorney. Was there something with the, uh, being a judge that you didn't like? No, no, I loved no. being a judge. I, I have a lot, I've had a lot of people ask me that. Did you just not like being a judge? No, I liked that. Um, but I think that there, are, you know, there were a lot of factors that went into it. But as a judge, you're very isolated. You're very, uh, you know, tied to your courtroom and whatever case happens to come in front of you at the time. Whereas a state's attorney, I get to be more involved in the community. Uh, decisions that come from our office can impact not just that particular case, but an entire community. And I just felt like that was the right thing to do at, at this moment in my life. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Uh, in, in your questionnaire, another one of the items that, that you got into was, was trying to, to work on an online diversionary program for, yes. for misdemeanor offenses of some sort. Talk about what all that would entail. Sure. So let me back up a step. Um, one of my kind of pet projects on the bench as a judge was online uh, dispute resolution, what we call mm-hmm. ODR. And we there was a lot of work that went into it. But Basically, uh, the Administrative Office of Illinois Courts, AOIC, Mm -hmm. they did approve us, and so we're in a pilot phase of that. Unfortunately, that was right after my appointment to become state's attorney, so all the work that I put in for two years to kind of my baby, my pet project, I didn't get a seed through. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is in place now, and what it does uh, currently in the courts in divorce cases where individuals are pro se and they have child custody Mm -hmm. issues, it allows them to go through the convenience of their couch at home. They don't have to go meet with an attorney. They don't have to come to court. They can go through. It's a step-by-step process, kind of like a turbo tax, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in layman's terms. But it's a step-by-step process where they go through each thing in the, um, in the custody mm-hmm. issues that would go in the divorce. And then that gets submitted to the court for approval. I want to take that same technology and use it for minor traffic offenses and misdemeanor, misdemeanor offenses. For example... Uh, somebody who gets an underage drinking ticket, mm-hmm. uh, they can. We can set up this program where they submit. You know, they have to do a few public service hours, or they have to maybe go get an alcohol evaluation or something along mm-hmm. those lines. And if they submit that, which they can do electronically, so they don't have to come to court, mm-hmm. my the electronic system then it would review it. Assuming they successfully complete what they would need to, then that case would never be charged. And now that we're one hundred percent electronic in the office. The program is set up that it would it would kick it to like our diversionary mm-hmm. program yeah. and not filter it into an actual cr- criminal case mm-hmm. charged. Are, are there other misdemeanors? And, and you cited some of those those low level nonviolent ones. Are, are there other misdemeanors like that that we need to start looking at or approaching differently? Because it, it, it's pretty easy to see that once somebody gets into the court system. It is a system that they are more likely to return to time and again. It is. And I'm glad you said court and not just criminal, because Mm -hmm. in my experience on the bench, that's what I found. These individuals who are in traffic court are also in small claims court. They're also Mm -hmm. in family court with child custody issues, maybe divorce court. So it's not just the criminal Mm -hmm. justice system. I mean, it's really courts and the justice system Mm -hmm. in general that I think needs an entire um, fix to. And, and the electronic can help that. Um, to answer your question, as far as other cases, I think the cannabis ones, uh, mm-hmm. currently, you know, it's it's 21 and older. Mm-hmm. So I could see a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds um, that are smoking cannabis that could be a possibility mm-hmm. for this type of diversionary program. Right. And, we don't and, want to charge mm-hmm. them. And, and, and those are now coming over mm-hmm. into the courts rather than being 
in the city for for tickets that are being given for well, that. Well, currently, I believe that law enforcement is just doing kind of an educational thing. Uh, They're not ticketing right. but them. But if, if they but were to ticket, they would they would go to the courts now because the city has discontinued its, yes, its yes. ticketing yes. program for those. Yes. Okay. So things mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of the vast number of cases that would apply. Um, but I think there are a lot of areas, particularly traffic, uh, where these types of cases um, could be very beneficial. Maybe somebody, ha- it's a first time suspended license mm-hmm. and they get their license back, mm-hmm. then that's something they could submit proof and we don't charge the case. Then it goes through that program. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back for, for just a minute because you talked talked in, in the answer to Dennis's question about some community outreach types of things mm-hmm. that, that can be done. And, and we did get a question in on, on Facebook there about reaching out to, to families of, of people who are missing within the city or those who have been murdered within the city. Talk about some of your, your philosophy and the outreach there. And, and certainly, you know, you can tell from, from the question that this yeah. comes from one of the advocates on, on the Alexa Scott case. But. Sure, sure. And, you know, those are always difficult cases. My heart goes out to the family uh, involved with the Alexis Scott case in particular, in all cases where people are missing or have been murdered. Uh, it's a delicate balance that's, that the state's attorney has to walk, though, because we are ultimately reviewing the law enforcement activity and the police reports. So we certainly work with them and we cooperate mm-hmm. with them, but we also have to have a, a hands-off at some point, too, because if we're too close to the investigation, mm-hmm. then we shouldn't be the ones that are prosecuting the case. Mm-hmm. So it's a delicate balance, and, uh, you know, I, those are tough cases, and I can tell you that law enforcement continues to work on them, mm-hmm. and I'm aware of those. Um, but as far as outreach, I just have to be careful as the mm-hmm. state's attorney who would then be prosecuting the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, your your predecessor w- was pretty well known among media for for being out there as often as he could be yeah. going to a scene if, if there was a, a shooting. And, and, you know, you would see Jerry out there at, at two in the morning if, if there was a, a homicide somewhere getting a look at the scene. Is that how you approach those or do you do, you do it differently? I, well, I think I have a, a slightly different approach um, just where we are in life. I, I mm-hmm. have two small children at home, so it's a, it's a little <laughs> bit more difficult for me than uh, what it was for Jerry. But certainly, um, depending on the case and the circumstances, if there mm-hmm. are questions that law enforcement has and there are it looks like there are issues involved mm-hmm. with the scene, then certainly I would be there. Um, but if it's just, you know, I don't want to say a routine, but a standard investigation where there's it's pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. uh, I can't say that I would always be at the scene. Okay. What, what, what will you be doing or what are you doing in order to get out into the community and encourage people to report crime and to also be maybe be witnesses? That is probably one of the biggest problems we have. You know, people don't want to come forward, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just getting awareness out there of that issue, I think we've come a long ways in 10 years because 10 years ago when I was an assistant, nobody knew that people wouldn't cooperate. I mean, I, I remember talking to some of my jurors after cases and they were just shocked that I can't believe somebody wouldn't come forward. And we would tell them that's the reality for, of cases for us. So I think as a society, we've moved past that point. Um, I think people now realize not everyone wants to cooperate here. Um, and getting that message to the individual witnesses you know, that's hard. If I had that answer, I could probably solve a lot of so crimes throughout the nation. that's something you're still working on, trying oh, to find an answer. Absolutely. Okay. And I think one of the other good things is um, 
not only partnerships, and I said this in one of my answers, not only partnerships with law enforcement, Mm -hmm. but partnerships with other states' attorneys, not just locally, but nationally, too. I mean, this isn't just a Peoria problem. This is a problem nationwide where people don't want to cooperate. So uh, having good relationships with those uh, district attorneys or state's attorneys in Nevada or California or New York or, or places like that that have the same issues that maybe have some different ideas or different approaches uh, is also a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, sort of a, a corollary to that is is in addressing some of the, the increased violence that we've seen around the city. One is, is clearly getting people who know something to step forward and say something. But the second element is, is there anything that, that your office can do to try to encourage people in, in neighborhoods to just you know, make it clear that, that they're not putting up with these kinds of things in their neighborhoods and, and take those stands? I think the Peoria Community Against Violence does a good job with that, PCAV. Um, you know, they're very active uh, in education and awareness, and they're certainly very active when an incident occurs, especially mm-hmm. if it's a homicide, they're at the hospital um, meeting with the family members because they want to make sure there's no retaliation. So that's probably the starting point. Uh, and then from there, I think just being vocal in the community and, and out and about in the community like Jerry was mm-hmm. uh, hopefully raises awareness and encourages people to come forward to not be afraid. You know, don't let them win um, because you're afraid to come forward. The, the city and the uh, county um, don't shoot programs about eight, coming on about eight years. Yeah. How is that done? How is it done currently? How, how, how is it, not how is it done, but what, what are the results and has it worked? So, as I said in the questionnaire, I think if you measure it solely in terms of did we stop violent crime, then no, it didn't work. I mean, obviously, we didn't stop violent crime. We, hmm. We've increased it in a lot of areas. Um, but I think if you measure it in terms of, as I talked about, community awareness and people that have stepped up, I think it was a huge success. I mean, the PCAB is a direct result of don't shoot. And we have individuals now, as I indicated, going to the hospital when there's a death and talking to the family members. Don't retaliate. Let the law handle this. You know, we'll have justice. You need to, you know, stand down, so to speak. That never occurred before. Um, so without something like don't shoot, then we would never have that aspect of it, which I think is, is a good thing. Okay. You, you mentioned that um, the state attorney's office has never been as diverse as it is now. Um, how so? Well, from the top down, we've never had a woman leading the office, so that's certainly mm-hmm. a big step in the right direction. But I've always been a strong advocate and a strong believer for if you are a government entity that represents individuals, you need to better reflect the population that you represent. And in the past, I don't think we did a good job of that. Not by anyone's fault. You know, it wasn't as if Kevin Lyons or Jerry Brady, my two predecessors, didn't try. It just it wasn't there. Um, maybe kids in law school from um, other backgrounds or other minorities maybe didn't want to go into law enforcement. I don't know. Um, but all I know is that was not the case in the past. And now it is. I mean, I have a, a broad spectrum of individuals that work for me now. And I think diversity comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh, it's not just the color of your skin. It's not just um, how you talk or what area you come from or what gender you are. Uh, It's all shapes and sizes. And in the seven positions that I've already filled, uh, I've done a very good job of getting as diverse and strong of a prosecutor's office as I can. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, let me go back a little bit, uh, and some of this may relate to outreach in, into the the teens and and, and finding finding kids who, who may be <clears throat> in in danger and getting them into one program. But you you really talk about uh, some other proactive efforts to to find kids who are headed in the wrong direction and get them before a gang does. What else there maybe has not been been tried or that you've seen success elsewhere with? Yeah, so, I, you know, I think that it, life is about what we're exposed to. I mm-hmm. mean, that's what shapes us. That's who makes us who we are. I mean, that's why I'm an attorney, because of the experience mm-hmm. as a young child. Um, I think if we can expose youth to the positive sides of it, of law enforcement, then they're less likely to go down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. So along with the program I was talking about yeah. with the U.S. Attorn- Attorney's Office, um, some uh, administration in District 150 has indicated they've had a high school internship program for some time now, but they can't get attorneys mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's because the attorneys think, well, these kids are still too young, mm-hmm. they maybe can't grasp it. But she said, and one of the individuals is married to an attorney, but she said it's mm-hmm. very hard. So, uh, you know, when she told me that, I thought, well, my office would be perfect because we have things that they can do and, and different activities. So um, that's something I'm looking forward to doing with not just District 150, mm-hmm. but countywide. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to depart a little bit from violent crime for a minute and talk about criminal expungements. Okay. And not the marijuana criminal expungements, but other ones that people are eligible for, for, for nonviolent crimes. They, they have not gotten in trouble for years afterward. It, you know, obviously, Representative Gordon Booth has a, a program for that, but other, other groups do as well. And one of the challenges for some people who have gone through those efforts is they get held up on their expungement process at the last minute because they still have outstanding fines or court fees that they have to pay. And and those objections can be raised by the state's attorney's office or the circuit clerk's office, as I understand it, that, wait a minute, there's still some cash out there that has to be paid before we expunge this crime. And it can become a vicious circle that if you don't have the earning power because you have a felony conviction, you're not going to come up with that cash to be able to pay off the fine so that you can get your record expunged so that you can have better earning power. Where do, where do you stand? Where does your office now stand on whether or not you're willing to waive those fees or divert people into community service to allow them to do so or arrange to have a time set post-expungement where the fees have to be paid down? Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I saw the uh, interview yesterday with my opponent mm-hmm. uh, when he was asked that question. And, and frankly, I was surprised that he doesn't know the law has changed on that. And in fact, our local rep, Jahan Gordon Booth, mm-hmm. she was the one that uh, had the initiative to get that changed. Mm-hmm. So currently, that's not grounds for an objection. Okay. So if you have outstanding fines, costs, fees, mm-hmm. those are not grounds for an objection, and those are not grounds for a judge to deny it. Mm-hmm. If there's outstanding restitution, okay. that can be, but that's mm-hmm. the only one. Um, and, I, and I was very surprised that my opponent mm-hmm. did not know that because that law has been in place for since last year. So okay. now, as far as restitution, it, it, is that just financial restitution? Yeah. Or, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in and, most mm-hmm. cases, um, you know, unless it was mm-hmm. a, a violent offense where somebody was injured, and a lot of times mm-hmm. the restitution isn't involved in in the vast majority of cases. Okay. Uh, yeah. Where would you stand on on restitution then? I think that the restitution needs to be made whole. 
Okay. I mean, if you injured somebody, if you you know broke their arm and they have $3,000 outstanding in medical bills because they couldn't have medical insurance or that was their out of pocket, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think your case should be cleared until they're made whole again. Okay. So you, you would only want financial restitution in that case, not diverting into community service in lieu of or anything like that? Yeah, because I don't think the community service would help the victim any. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the if in my example, if it was a three thousand dollar expense that they have out of pocket, and now they have problems, you mm-hmm. know, they can't pay to fix their car because they don't have the money. Um, public service hours does them no good. Mm-hmm. So when I have to balance everything, um, the law, the victim, mm-hmm. and all the circumstances, I would be I would be against that scenario. Mm-hmm. How many cases do you personally try? Do I personally try? Well, so far, none. None, but do you have plans <laughs> um, going forward? It depends on the case. You know, there's so much more to the state's attorney's office than just prosecuting cases. I mean, we have a whole civil division. Uh, we have about a budget of almost $4 million. We are the chief law enforcement uh, and the chief attorney for the sheriff's department, for other, you know, the county board, other elected officials, the health department, et cetera. So there's a lot more than just trying a murder case. Uh, I, I will take cases. I mean, there are, if obviously, if there, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if there's a triple homicide in the town library in Chillicothe, well, mm-hmm. that's going to be a case that I would handle personally. Um, but I can't say a specific mm-hmm. number. It, it just depends. There's so much more that I have on my plate right now. That example, that, why would you take that case on? Well, I think that's a case that a lot of people, that, that's going to draw attention. I mean, anytime you have something out of the ordinary like that, um, people would would want to know what's going on and and want to hear probably from the state's attorney themselves and not an assistant. Okay. Hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Fing- fingers crossed. Yeah, I just was using that as an example. <laughs> yeah, well, and we're right around Valentine's Day and the anniversary of the Luthold case, yes, which yes. always <laughs> always draws attention. Um, we asked you in the questionnaire what the state's attorney's office can do to help address some of the high domestic violence rates in, in Peoria. And, and I'll, I'll use the same example we used with your opponent that February 2019, 20% of all of the people who were booked into the Peoria County Jail were on domestic violence or domestic violence adjacent, violating an order of protection type of cases. One in five people booked into the jail on on those cases, and it, it seems to me that that you know raising awareness on those things is all well and good. But you know we've had a generation of school kids now who have gone through programs sponsored by Center for Prevention of Abuse and others, where, where they've been told you know these are the things you don't do. This is not okay. And if something like this is happening in your home, here's what you do. And yet we continue to see these. I think, elevated rates on it. What else can the state's attorney's office do to try to to reduce those numbers? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's a fact of life. Those are horrible cases, and I'm not sure that those will ever go away. You know, if Mm -hmm. I had the answer to that, I would solve a lot of things in our world. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things you don't have the answer to, but I don't think that means that you stop trying. I don't think that means we stop our education and our awareness. Uh, The center does a lot of great things, a Mm -hmm. lot of public awareness campaigns, and simply because maybe it hasn't worked as efficiently as we would have liked it to, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we should stop it. Uh, In addition, you know, how do we know that it hasn't helped? Maybe it'd be a lot higher number if we <laughs> that, hadn't been that doing that. certainly could be. And I'm not, so, I'm not belittling yeah. <laughs> their efforts by, no. by, by any stretch, but I just want to know if there are other things out there that, that 
might be able to be expanded. Well, and that's where, obviously, I'll continue partnerships with mm-hmm. the center. Um, I think that the Family Justice Center and the Children's Advocacy Center, although they're not always domestic related, mm-hmm. um, for the most part they are, those are two organizations that if you ask the average person on the street, they've probably never heard of them. Mm-hmm. So I think we can do a better job in our office of, of making raising awareness of what those two organizations do mm-hmm. and how they can help if you happen to find yourself in that situation. Uh, I also think, you know, I go back to relationships with what are other state's attorneys and district mm-hmm. attorneys doing or other communities. I mean, it's not just a state's attorney problem. It's a community mm-hmm. problem, unfortunately. And what are they doing across the nation? Maybe somebody else has a better idea than what we're doing. One of your priorities, you said, was about uh, addressing the jury pool. What's uh, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? What, what does so it mean? what uh, so in the past um, the jury pools were not very diverse, and in the past most of the individuals that were sitting at the defense table didn't look like the jurors that we had. And I think as judges um, we recognize that. And there was a big push through the administrative office of Illinois courts and the Supreme Court uh, to start looking at how we can do better. Mm-hmm. And so we put in programs where it is more diverse now. I, I, I can't tell you how many times um, my colleague, Judge McCuskey, and I, we would have a trial. And those were even in civil cases. And we'd come back and we'd say, oh, my gosh, we have a great jury. I mean, the jury was an absolute cross section of what our public is. Uh, and I think that was a great thing. I think that strengthens our justice system, not just criminal, Mm -hmm. if people come and see, you know, they sit on jury and they feel like they've had a stake in it, then they're more likely to um, respect the process, I think, and respect the system. So that's what we tried to do. I think we've done a good job of that uh, and we'll continue. And, you know, I'm not on the bench anymore, so I don't have a lot of uh, input on that. Um, But that's what I meant by that in my questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Will you encourage uh, your assistant state's attorneys to look for a more diverse jury to, to make sure that they're um, – that maybe make sure that there are minorities uh, and when there's a minority defend, defendant? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a law in place, too, that you're not allowed to challenge. So, for example, okay. if it's a Hispanic defendant and somebody – prosecution or defense starts bumping all Hispanic people that are in the pool – well, that's against the law, okay. uh, and that would be stopped anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, my focus or our focus from the judiciary was how can we improve it, and I think we improved it greatly from where we were ten or fifteen years ago. Okay. Uh, we also asked a little bit about problem-solving courts, and, and you indicated yeah. that that you know you you favor the the ones that that exist and find value in, in the work that they're doing. Are there others that that you think ought to be added in or or that state's attorney's office and the judiciary ought to look at establishing? So I I think we do a pretty good job of a cross segment. I mean, we have mental health court. Mm -hmm. We have a drug court. We have veterans court. We have a DUI court. The most individuals that need to go through one of these specialty courts will fall into one of those courts. So I can't think of what you know, another court that may be out there, you know, maybe down the road, someone will create one. But the problem with that is, if you do create a new court, well, then you need a judge, and you need another prosecutor, and you need another courtroom, oh, by the way, uh, and probation officers, you know, it doesn't just come with, well, let's have a a new court established. 
Mm-hmm. There are other factors that go into that. And I think what we have in place now is a really good system. It's been in place for several years now. And most individuals are going to fall in one of those courtrooms. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you kind of a, a wonky question as, as we close <laughs> okay. out here. Uh, and, and part of this is because I, I know about the, the retirement of the person who handled this for many years. Is the grand jury system something that we still need to have in Peoria County? Is there any added value for for many of those cases in running them through a grand jury when somebody has already been arrested and they've already shown probable cause on the arrest and have everything else that, that goes into many of the things that go through grand jury? I say this as a former Peoria County grand juror 11 sure. years ago. Why do we still need it? Well, or do we not? it's by law. So you either have to, on a felony case, they have to go through the grand jury process Mm -hmm. or a preliminary hearing with the judge. Right, and you have an alternative there. Yeah, we do. And the reason Mm -hmm. that I'm for the grand jury system is because I think that 16 people are far more likely to get it right than one person. And if you get 16 individuals that hear the evidence, talk about it, discuss the case, um, everybody gets their input, they're going to have the best decision versus one individual who's hearing it at that time. We could uh, have the last question be from one of our uh, viewers here is when you see state's attorney's office, uh, when will the state's attorney's office begin prosecuting mandated reporters of schools who choose to cover up rather than report abuse? Well, that's a good question. I I didn't realize that was an issue, I guess, because those haven't come to our office yet. Um, Obviously, if they're a mandated reporter, they need to be doing their job, and that should be something internally uh, with their employment and whoever their supervisors or or bosses are. But I don't know of any specifics, so I can't really answer that. So this person who wrote in the question, if they know somebody, they can call your office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'd look into it and see, you know, if there, what law applies to particular facts. And if there's a crime there, then, yeah, I, th- I think that's a problem. Okay. All right. Peoria County State's Attorney Jody Hoos seeking the Democratic renomination for a full-year term. The position primary is March 17. Jody, thank you for being here. All right. Thank, thank you. you.